0: The First Irony I arrived in the middle of her English lesson. Her dog, a black poodle, pounced on me when she opened up the door. Basta, Lucy, basta, she scolded the animal, affecting anger in the way that dog owners do, knowing full well that their commands will come to nothing, and deep down not really caring whether or not their little darling maimed you for life. I bent down to pet my attacker when it returned to four legs. Paro leaned in for a hug at the same moment and, never one to be denied, pulled up my torso with her arms before I could make contact with the precious creature. This was a considerable achievement, as I am nearly a foot taller than her. After releasing me from her embrace, she punctuated my name with an audible question mark. "'Cassia?' "'Cassia,' I said, correcting her with what I hoped was good nature. There is a special pressure in first meetings with people you know will be central to your life, at least for a season. We are not often burdened with such knowledge in advance. Cassia, she said, enunciating slowly to demonstrate her improvement. Come, we learning English. She waved me over to a table pushed up against the living room wall. I rolled my suitcase over behind me, with Lucy trailing to continue sniffing it. It was my first chance to really behold Amparo, this woman previously known to me as only a name in an email. I guessed that she was about my grandmother's age. She had brown eyes, a scruffy, short haircut, and a tooth missing on the top right side. This final detail surprised me. Having known her for all of 30 seconds, I could already tell that if anyone alive could grow their teeth back like a shark, it would be her. Amparo introduced me to the English teacher, a chic-looking woman in an all-black ensemble seated at the head of the table. That was her sole designation, the English teacher, no personal name. She, in her expensive wardrobe and bilingual elegance, seemed a perfectly natural accessory to the apartment, like a bidet or a sparkling water machine. Two English textbooks lay open on the table, revealing a cast of stock characters formulated for the narrow needs of the language learner. You know, the ones with stereotypically national names and generic interests, John, who likes mountain climbing, Elizabeth, who lists off all her family members in every conversation, etc. I felt like one of these characters myself, as I delivered my pre-scripted monologue for them in Spanish. I probably would have received their pardon if I spoke in English at that moment. My arrival had interrupted Amparo's instruction in the oppressor's tongue, but I wanted to make a good first impression as a Spanish speaker. Soy una periodista. Ahora trabajo en video. Estaré en Buenos Aires por yo no sé cuánto tiempo. Estoy aquí para practicar la lengua y para. First impressions in language are perhaps the most consequential form of first impression. If someone hears you grasping at phantom vocabulary or fumbling pronunciation, it doesn't matter how eloquently you go on to speak around them later. They will forever shout their sentences at you, pausing to emphasize each word and assume that you're absorbing next to nothing of their meaning. Being underestimated has its advantages, don't get me wrong, especially for eavesdropping, but I didn't want to brand myself as a moron under my own roof. My efforts did not instill sufficient confidence in my language ability, however, because the next question came in English. "'How long will you be living here?' Amparo asked, pointing to the floor to indicate "'with me,' as opposed to "'in the country.'" The accommodation was so hastily booked that she didn't know. Un mes para empezar, I answered, sallying back in Spanish, unwilling to surrender. Do you have any questions for me now? Amparo pointed to herself. Because I no speak English, she pointed to the teacher. She speak English, her finger turned back to her chest. Later I will be here, then out again. She will not be. See, sí, yo entiendo, I replied, doing battle to suppress my growing annoyance. Hay algo. My rent was due to the letting agency upon arrival and in U.S. dollars only. I produced the address where I was due to pony up, scrawled on a pink post-it note by a dull pencil. ¿Puedo ir a pie? I asked. The English teacher took the post-it in one hand and raised her reading glasses to her nose with the other. Oh, seguro, she answered, with a huff of certainty. She knew, without consulting a map, that this building was exactly three blocks south and six or seven blocks east. This street wisdom greatly impressed me. I didn't know it then, but would soon discover that Buenos Aires is one of the most fervently gridded cities in all the world. You could plot a graph on a bird's-eye view of it, and people who'd grown up within the confines of this matrix had their minds molded to its 90-degree angles. Amparo snatched the post-it from the teacher's hand and began scribbling the address down in the top-right corner of her notebook. She reverted to Spanish, but directed her words to the teacher, not to me. Por años yo trabajo con ellos y no me dicen nada, she said, banging a fist on the table in exasperation. Amparo had an antagonistic relationship to reality. She could see in nearly any banal occurrence evidence of being tricked, cheated, insulted, or pushed aside. I had the address of the letting agency that had brought us together, and she did not. This, of course, bolstered her theory that the entire world was united in lockstep against her. If I was a travel writer, I would suggest this had something to do with the soul of Latin America. For myself... I've known people of all stars and all stripes with this same trait. Ugh, Amparo groaned in resolution. Time for the tour? She asked, rising from her chair to commence the ritual. My impression of the apartment was that it was dingy and crumb-ridden, but nevertheless majestic. All of the city's better buildings were. Amparo showed me my shelf in the fridge, my shelf in the cupboard, how to add a leaf to the kitchen table, and how to light the oven with a match. As she went around, she pointed to various household items and gave me their Spanish names. This was the first of many unasked-for Spanish lessons I was to receive under her tutelage. Orno. El Orno, she said, indicating the oven. El horno, El Orno, she continued, louder and more insistently, until I realized that the off-switch was repeating the word back to her. She teaches French, the English teacher whispered to me in explanation. "'keeping her voice down to escape censure. "'Yes,' Amparo said, taking up the private conversation as her own. "'Je suis le meilleur francophone d'Argentine. "'Oh, sin argumento,' the English teacher acceded. "'Amparo laid a set of old-fashioned keys in my already dry and flaky hands. "'I boarded a plane in summer and landed in winter. "'My skin was showing its disapproval.' There was a somewhat complicated procedure for locking up, which she demonstrated, then had me practice while she watched and gave notes. When that was finished, Amparo deposited me in my assigned room, bidding me to rest. She turned back before leaving, remembering a question she'd meant to ask. "'Oh, Cassia, what is your nationality?' Listening to Have We Met Before? My name is Cassia, and these are stories of people I can't forget. Lesson Two. A naked breakfast. "'Casia, casia, casia!' Amparo shouted, like a chant at a sports game. I was dripping wet, cold, and barely toweled. I could have sworn that she timed her knocking to my states of undress. "'Un momento,' I said, shoving a still damp leg into a pair of jeans." Time for coffee! Amparo said, unusually cheerful. I opened the door with a gray sweater pulled over my bare chest. The ends of my wet hair were still tucked underneath the neck hole. Amparo stood smiling at the threshold, balancing a tray, which contained a small coffee pot, a matching cup and saucer, and a plate of some unknown sugary confection. Later inspection revealed that they were ladyfingers. Lucy, the dog knowing an opportunity when she saw one, made herself at home in my bed. No, Lucy, no, Amparo reprimanded, again enacting the charade of responsible dog ownership. Gracias, I said, taking the tray from her hands in a wobbly pass-off. I set it down on a low bookcase beside a bowl of fruit I hadn't noticed before. Amparo liked to leave little touches like that in my room. I imagine this was her pretext for snooping, what the motive for this morning's intrusion was, I had yet to discover. She mined the tray with her now empty hands. Bandeja, she intoned, using her educator voice. By then I knew the drill. Bandeja, I repeated. Having completed the day's act of charity, Amparo returned to English. These are for you too, she said, indicating the fruit bowl filled with those small apples and perfectly ripe bananas. Muchas gracias, I said. "'genuinely feeling it this time. "'Why were you out so late last night?' she inquired. "'And there it was! "'Her hospitality always came with a kick, "'like a razor blade in Halloween candy. "'What were you doing?' Mm, bandeja,' I repeated again, also miming the tray. "'She threw her head back in a grand laugh. "'Making a person older than me laugh "'always felt much more satisfying "'than making someone of my own age laugh. I don't think it was so late, I said, turning to evil-eyed Lucy as she gnawed on an apparently juicy corner of the Book of Disquiet. The second question I ignored. Not late! Eleven seventeen! She shouted, unashamed to reveal that she tracked my movements to the minute. Well, I didn't check the time, I said, instinctively backing away as the interrogation advanced. The waterboarding might commence at any moment. "'But we were waiting for you to eat dinner.' "'You and Lucy?' I asked, confused by her use of we. "'Me and Anna Raffaella!' She cackled at the thought of considering the dog an equal. "'Who is Anna Raffaella?' I asked, supremely confused. "'The other renter,' she said, as though this were common knowledge. "'Oh, but you did not know? "'There's another, a girl, living in the hall by my room.' I'd stayed there for over a week without realizing that there were other victims. Sorry, I had no idea. "'Well, we all dine together tonight,' she said, using her index finger to draw a circle in the air. This was an order, not an invitation. I consented, and, much to my astonishment, found myself asking her what time I should be back for the affair. Amparo had the power to make others act against their will and in accordance with hers.' Put me up against her, and I had all the counterforce of a dandelion caught in a stampede. Lesson 3. Happy birthday, or else. I prefer to spend my birthdays alone. I think of a birthday as a fundamentally private activity, like masturbating or pulling out a tampon. But why, then, at one of our attendants' mandatory apartment dinners, When Amparo had me fill out a questionnaire asking my full name, date of birth, hometown, profession, and other things, did I write my actual date of birth? The unhappy anniversary of which was that upcoming Friday. Maybe I thought she wouldn't notice, or maybe I wanted her to. Ana Rafaela was the one to draw attention to it. Oh, that's this week, she remarked, inspecting my responses. How old will you be? She paused to do the math. Ana Rafaela was a petite girl of 20, Colombian, but here to study medicine. There's plenty more to say about her, but I'll be saving it for an upcoming episode. Oh, Cassia, we will have a little party, Amparo said, doing a shoulder shimmy. She began making arrangements with Ana Rafaela in Spanish, as if this were their secret language. That's not necessary, I protested. Amparo shushed me. Yes, it is necessary! Anna Rafaela said. As the little party approached, Amparo reminded me, multiple times in person, but also by leaving a note on the kitchen counter on the day of, that I was to return to the apartment by five p.m. I know how hard it will be for you, she said sarcastically. I had earned a reputation for never being in. But as instructed, I returned just a few minutes before the appointed hour my cheeks still red from the cold and the wind and a long walk. As I fiddled with the lock, I could hear Amparo scheming on the other side of the door. "'Vamos, vamos!' she urged her silent co-conspirator, who I was sure was Ana Rafaela. When I entered, they were still scrambling to light all the candles on a small cake. It had white frosting, pink flowers, and my name written in the center. "'Está aquí!' Ana Rafaela shrieked, stating the obvious. Amparo grabbed the cake and ordered Ana Raffaella to turn off the light. She dashed to the opposite end of the room to comply. "'Hay uno ahí, Amparo said, chiding her for not going to the closer light switch by the door where I had just entered. "'Lo siento, lo siento,' Ana Raffaella said, shuffling back to take her mark beside Amparo. I unwrap my scarf in awe of these women, hardly more than strangers, putting such care into this moment of celebration for me, the mysterious foreigner, down the hall. I would have been far less charmed if it had all come off smoothly. With both in position, each with one hand underneath the cake with four out of five candles on it lit, they began to sing me happy birthday. A tear escaped from one eye, and I hoped they didn't see. Lesson 4. The Grandchildren Amparo's grandkids were coming over for lunch on Nueve de Julio, Argentina's Independence Day. Ana Rafaela and I were expected to attend. Usually there is celebration, but this year, protest, Amparo said, referring to the massive anti-IMF rally that would be taking place that day. ¿Por qué? asked Ana Rafaela, who didn't pay attention to politics. Amparo made fart noises while hiking up her thumb to represent the rise in prices. Inflation, she said, and Anna nodded gravely. I was curious to see what Amparo's family would be like. She had no husband currently in the picture, nor any photographs or traces of a departed one that I ever saw. She often mentioned a daughter, and I knew she had a son who lived in England, but this luncheon was the first time I'd ever heard of the grandchildren. There were two, one boy, one girl. "'They speak perfect English,' she told me. "'They will love to meet you.' "'She cleaned the entire apartment for their visit, "'which was definitely not a habit of hers. "'From this and other acts, it soon became clear "'that Amparo's grandchildren were the pivot of her existence. "'I was in my room when they arrived, "'but I could hear Amparo stressing out through the wall. "'She immediately put the grandson, Tomás, to work making lunch. "'Ayúdame, ayúdame,' she implored. "'No sé cuánto comida necesito para cinco personas.' He calmly accepted the task, despite having never made the dish before, and reassured her that everything would be fine. When the food was nearly ready, Amparo knocked on Anna and I's doors to summon us. Tomás was still employed over the stove, which, owing to the apartment's strange shape, lay just outside my door. He hugged me with one arm, holding a spatula stuck with bits of semi-cooked egg away from me with the other, and pecked me on my right cheek. With all the talk of mis nietos, I had envisioned Amparo's grandchildren as actual children. This was not a child at all, but in fact a grown man, and an extremely good-looking one at that. His sister, Clara, was in the living room chatting with Ana Rafaela about how school was going. They had all met on one occasion previously. Clara had the posture of a Roman column. She was in her teens, but already possessed a womanly aura some never achieve. There was something chilly and regal about her, though she wore a messy bun and a scuffed-up pair of Doc Martens. "'Clara, have you met Cassia?' Amparo asked, as she carried a stack of mismatch plates over to the table. "'No,' she replied flatly, turning her attention to me as if it were a chore. Her personality was several degrees colder than that of the average human, but I decided I liked her anyway.' Tomás brought in a skillet, you could still hear it sizzling, of revuelto gramajo, a local dish that was basically eggs scrambled with ham and potato. Amparo held out plates for him as he portioned it between us with a spatula. Amparo asked if Ana Rafaela or I had ever eaten this dish before. I often forgot that we shared the status of foreigners in this country. Ana said no, but I said that yes, I had and I had liked it. You have? Ana Rafaela asked me. Where? Mm, La Biella, I think. Cassia's done everything, Amparo told her grandchildren. She's been to China. Tomas acted impressed, as the social contract required, but Clara could not be bothered. I was surprised by how Amparo showed me off to them. Tomas asked what we'd all have to drink. There was a large bottle of Sprite already on the table, which Clara and Ana Raffaella had helped themselves to. Amparo and I asked for water. "'Con gas or sin gas?' Tomás asked me, like a waiter at a fancy restaurant. "'Tomás, no tenemos agua con gas,' Amparo told him. He shrugged and walked off. "'Qué hospitalidad?' Amparo seethed, more to Clara than to Ana and I. "'Ofreciendo lo que no tengo, ese chico.' Clara laughed at her brother's expense. "'You don't like soda?' she asked me. "'No,' I said. "'Bueno,' Amparo threw in. "'Es veneno.' I looked to Clara for translation, and she intuitively understood. Poison, she informed. Tomás came back, handing Amparo and I fresh glasses of tap water, Seen gas. I smiled as I took mine, and my cheeks felt like a radiator. The table talk was dedicated to the accomplishments of the grandchildren, which, according to Amparo, were inexhaustible. Tomás studied economics at UBA. He made sure that I knew that there was an American in their department. "'From Chicago,' he said. "'Okay,' I replied. "'Do you think I'd know him?' Amparo laughed malevolently. Clara was in her final year of high school, but gave us a tight elevator speech about her plans for college and the future beyond. I can't remember what they were, but I remember the confidence with which she articulated them. Both siblings were headed to La Pampa on a missionary trip with their church in a few days, where they would teach soccer to underprivileged children.' Emparo asked what soccer could do to possibly help underprivileged children. Clara replied that it would give them something to do besides having babies at the age of 14. Tomás filled us in on the large number of teen moms that they'd met the last time they went on this same trip. Everyone agreed that the life of a teenage mother was a very sad life, indeed. Emparo brought out a bag of churros for dessert. She dumped them on a plate and explained that half were filled with dulce de leche and the other half were plain There was some silent controversy over whose hands the more sought-after dulce de leche filled churros would fall into. As soon as they were done eating, Tomás donned a camel jacket and Clara slung a black leather purse across her chest. Amparo asked them what they were up to for the next few days, seeing as it was their winter vacation. She could not contain her disappointment at them eating and running. Tomás said he was going to be busy preparing for the trip. "'Y tú, Clara?' Amparo asked." Lo mismo, she said. There was another hug go round, then they left. Tus nietos son encantadores, Ana Rafaela raved as Amparo bolted the door. I realized that I'd crossed over the barrier between being the fawned over grandchild to now having to fawn over other people's grandchildren. Si, sí, muy amable, I added, not being able to think of anything besides a stock phrase. Emparo absorbed these words as her due and took the chance to gush over them further. She told us how Tomás was the social, more fun-loving one. He did just enough in his studies in order to get by. Sports, friends, going out, these things were most important to him. But for Clara, Solo la excelencia es suficiente, Amparo said. She kept repeating, La excelencia, la excelencia, over and over, raising her hand through the ranks of an invisible hierarchy. Como su abuela, she concluded, glowing with pride. Whether it was for Clara or herself, we knew not. "'Qué maravillosa, emparo, Ana Raffaella said, with a smile that reached her eyes. She played the role required by this moment so flatteringly, and so charmingly, that I admired her even more than usual. "'Gracias por invitarnos,' I said. All told, I was eager to end the luncheon so I could see what remained of the protest. "'No, no,' Amparo waved off our thank-yous. Ustedes dos son familia ahora. She still made us pay to live with her, but it was nice to hear. Lesson 5. Don't worry about the bank. Amparo communicated with the outside world mostly through a landline, which rang frequently. She would spend hours talking to her daughter or to her many, many female friends scattered all across Europe and South America, with whom, I knew from my very thin walls, she shared every detail of her, my, and Ana Rafaela's existence. But there was one very persistent caller that she did not enjoy speaking to. The first time I noticed it happen, I was in the kitchen with Ana Rafaela. We were debating whether or not frozen empanadas should be warmed in the microwave or in the oven. I was pro-oven, she was pro-microwave. Anyways, the phone rang and Impara went over to answer it. A look of horror crossed her face as the caller stated their purpose. She sternly rebuked them, then hung up. Moments later, the phone rang again. This time, she picked it up screaming. The words were incoherent to me, but not to Anna. judging by the way she grabbed my arm and squeezed it. The phone rang a third time, and Emparo picked it up and slammed it right back down without saying anything. When it rang for a fourth time, she grabbed the phone by the cord and pulled it out of the wall taking down a small piece of furniture with it. Anna and I ran in to help. ¿Está todo bien? Amparo was on all fours, and there were fallen trinkets scattered everywhere. Sí, sí, she said, with an unholy calm. I got down on the floor with her and collected an assortment of pens, most of them branded with the names of doctors' offices, and put them back in the mate gourd she used as a holder. She hated mate. I have lived here long, but not that long. Her family left Spain for France during the Civil War, so if someone bought her a maté gourd as a gift, she used it as storage, which I found charming. Anna and I asked for no explanation. We only wanted to help her up from the floor and clean up the rest ourselves, but Amparo clearly felt the absence of one. Don't worry, she said, it's just… the bank. It started happening several times a week. The ring seemed to get louder and louder though I'm sure I was just imagining it. Lesson six. How to say goodbye. On the day I moved out, I brought her flowers. Some yellow kind. When I walked in, she was washing dishes in the sink and pretended not to notice them. For me? She pointed to herself in astonishment as I offered them to her. No, Cassia, no, she said, shaking her head. Yes, Samparo, for you, I said, pressing the bundle of stems into her hands. Oh, merci beaucoup, she exclaimed, nestling them in one arm and wrapping me in a hug with the other. Why are you leaving me, Cassia? Why? She asked, filling a vase with water from the faucet. You are easy to live with, she said. I don't know if I can say the same for you, Amparo. She laughed with delight. I love the way she laughed, with total abandon. You are honest, she said. I like that. She set the vase on the tiny table in the kitchen, the one she'd shown me how to add a leaf to on the first day. I never did need to add a leaf to it. We both admired the flowers in silence for a moment. Haron, I said, pointing to the vase. Haron, she repeated. She started to cry. "'Of all the girls who live here, you're the only one who brings me flowers.' And we hugged again for a long time. It was not the most comfortable position to hold, given how much shorter she was than me. But I became so absorbed in that moment, feeling grateful that I could bring her something meaningful. Yet far beyond my own gratitude, I felt her pain and the sad, unknown state of affairs that forced an old, brilliant woman to endure a revolving door of young tenants just to support herself. "'Are you going to London soon?' she asked, changing the subject as she wiped the tears from her eyes. I recalled with amusement how her opinion of me had risen significantly when she learned that I'd gone to university in the UK. "'No, I don't think so,' I said. "'Well, next time you do, please call my son,' she said, handing me her business card with his number written on the back. "'He owns a food truck. He needs customers,' she said with a sniffle. "'What kind of food?' I asked. "'Chicken and rice?' I kept the business card in my wallet, still do, and often fantasized about the day that I could buy a meal from Amparo's son, in ocean away from where we stood then. I'd take it out and inspect it, rubbing the paper between my thumbs like the fibers of it were magical. The front read, Amparo Iglesias, professora de francés. Lesson 7 Chicken and Rice He answered halfway through the third ring. Hi, am I speaking to Juan? Yes, the voice said. Well, hi, I'm Casia. You won't know me, but I used to live with your mother, Amparo, in Buenos Aires. She told me that if I was ever in London, I should cut- He cut me off. When was the last time you spoke to my mother? He asked. Oh, it's been years. I'd love to know how she's doing. There was a pause. She died last spring. Lesson 0. Fate. I received an email with the subject line URGENT written in all caps, followed by six exclamation points. Dear Cassia, I am contacting you with this unexpected situation. The owner of the room you have booked was infirmed recently about a health problem that she has to take care. She sends her most sincerely apologies, but she won't be able to receive you at her house. Cassia, we sorry so much, but we expect your comprehension in such a delicate issue. For that reason, I have just selected specially a room in this house for you. The host's name is Amparo, and she will be more than happy to receive you. Three exclamation points. I am sending you the link of the house. Please check it out and see that this room is cheaper than the other. Miss Amparo will be receiving you at her house at about 10 a.m. Cassia, hoping that you will accept this change, I will be waiting for your answer and at your pleasant disposal in case of any doubt. Listening to Have We Met Before. Join me again in two weeks for Rally Racing on Frozen Roads. Theme music composed by John Hookstra.